Are you moving? Lefko in the house. Warren Sharp, not in the house. David Ingber in the house. What's going on, Lefko? Um, where is, why do you have a beard? This is a, the person that sits next to me on this show has a mustache, a mustache only. I'm glad you asked because I did bring out my array of fake mustaches today. <laughs> Um, I had these hidden. This is not a bit. I had no. I was not in on this. So we have a few options. If you're watching on YouTube, I can hold them up. There's one called the Intellect, which is I think very Warren Sharp. There's also I one think called the is, Gambler. Ooh. But the Intellect very much does look the most like Warren's actual mustache. Intellect looks like Warren's. It has a little bit of a Batmobile vibe. The Butler is just a straight up dash. Wild West would be quite <laughs> nice on you. The Gambler. I see why it's called the Gambler. Right. When I think of a poker movie, it's cowboy, a guy walking into a saloon, kicking the door down. He's got the spurs going. I'll take 500 and chips. It puts a coin down, yeah. yeah. I'll bet my horse in your house. Unfortunately, this is more of a bit than an actuality because sticky mustaches don't stick to my beard. Yeah, but I think we should try uh, the intellect real just, quick. Just real quick? I mean, you're not going to bring it out and not do it. <laughs> okay, so yeah, it's going to... Alright, and I'll do the gambler. Okay. Um, so Warren, this is in honor of you. Uh, to be honest, I got a text from Warren yesterday that said, man, I'm not really feeling that good. I'm sick right now. I can't even talk. So we couldn't even, as I try and get this mustachio, got to use your fingernails. Um, so I, I couldn't even talk to him on the phone last night. I had to slack with him for an hour and 45 minutes. I got all of the information from Warren Sharp's brain. I tapped into his head like a tree, and I got the betting info out of him like sap. And now, Warren... That's pretty good. This is... I am the gambler. Is it upside down? <laughs> yes, it is, but that's fine. Oh, man. I don't know. And let's see yours. Let's see David's. Let's go full on David. Thank you. Yeah. I think it looks solid. Um, I, it's definitely going to fall off within like you, three or four syllables, but that's fine. You look like Rick and Morty Hitler. <laughs> I do, like, it's not that small. As but. soon as I as soon as soon I smooshed this to my face, um, all these EDSR statistics just like popped into my brain. It's really amazing. The yeah. How do, you, how do you feel about this week's games now that you have a mustache, Ingber? I now feel like I'm going to hit like 64% of my recommendations. My models are projecting 71%. I didn't even have right models before I walked in here, but now I got a mustache. You think so. this is a phone? It's full of models. <laughs> okay. I can't do this anymore. All right, so um, look, the, Warren. Hope you're feeling better. the The thing is, is I wanted to get all of the information, and Warren said to me, "Hey, I will give you this because the people need to hear it. The 33 percent need to hear it. I, this is not going to be a show of Ingber and myself telling you our opinions and going. It's Square Thursday no. on the Left Go Show." Uh, Ingber is going to set us up with some of the lines, some of the money lines, interesting facts that he has found. Yeah, I'm happy to present with actual objective facts of where the public money yes. is going or what the over-under has shifted from this yeah. to that. That stuff's all interesting. But in terms of like, here's my opinion, don't listen to it. I don't have any. Who do the Loch Ness Monsters like this week? <laughs> Let's just remind people the Loch Ness Monsters is a complete joke that we have in the office. It's not a real podcast. It's not a real podcast. But it could be. Uh, but yeah, we like to choose the largest line of the week and just say what would happen if we put all our money down on that money line. So this yep. week it's $5,500 to win $1,000 over the Dolphins, Browns uh, at home against the Dolphins. 
No Miles Garrett. No Larry <laughs> Ogbenjobi. Well, we'll see. Uh, we're going to get into some weighted EDSR that we promised you from last week that Warren has looked into. So not just looking at his baby EDSR, but mainly focusing on the last month. I got a lesson for you for Sharp School. And we, of course, will be calling Crack, who I think we're going to lean a little heavily, heavier on today mm-hmm. uh, and see what he's looking at. Also wanted to update you last show. Uh, we talked about how road dogs are covering the most of any of the combinations at 60%. Last week, 5-4 and four against the spread. So still winning, but there's 10 instances of it this week. It's a little bit too jumbled for my blood. When you said 60% last week, that number definitely jumped out at me as something that could potentially regress to the mean. Of that's course. not necessarily a trend that's going... So, you know, it, uh, like that could be the sort of thing that you say, hey, it's 60%, let's ride it. Or you could say, hey, it's 60%, this is going to regress, so let's fade it. Yeah, for me, like statistics like that are... It's like when you're riding a wave and you're surfing, and I would rather be told how great the wave was afterwards than looking at a wave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that makes any sense. But like, I hope I'd be like, oh, shoot, yeah, actually, I was betting road dogs this whole season. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It feels a little late to jump on now. Sure. All right, Sharp School. The other thing that Warren wanted to talk about was predictive models. And again, what that means is you propose a play-calling situation, and what the model does is tell you what play and result happens next. So, for example, we talked about running backs that have a very long run, and then the head coach goes, run them again. Mm. How do they do? And me and Warren joked, oh, that's the Bill O'Brien school of coaching. Mm -hmm. Well, he looked up Bill O'Brien. And after a Texans running back runs for 10 yards or more, and Bill O'Brien runs again with that same running back, they're averaging three yards per carry. Mm. Successful one out of three times. When he uses a different running back, they are averaging 12.5 yards per carry and having success 63% of the time. It just makes you look and go, Texans, are you Mm self-scouting? This segment, by the way, this sharp school, is more about spotlighting bad coaches in the NFL. We know that Kyle Shanahan adjusts like that, and Belichick and Sean Payton and Sean McVay. But we also need to point out the other coaches that are winning despite their coaches. This is Deshaun, not Billy O. Mm -hmm. So I asked Warren, which coaches violate your cardinal sin? If you've ever read Sharp's analysis before, it's if if you don't have success on first and 10, don't run on second and 10. And I said, so who runs the most after a first and 10 incompletion? The NFL average is to pass 58 yards. <laughs> Let's try that I'm one. I'm trying to be Warren Shaw right now. It's real hard. He's got so many numbers okay, in front of him. But I got it. So after an incomplete pass on first and 10. Right. It's now second and 10. The league typically throws 58% of the time, on which is the right 10. thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's second and 10. Don't run it. You're about to make it third and long. It's a lot more difficult. Here are the teams that run the most on second and 10. These are the offensive coordinators that even if they're having success, it is likely in spite of them, not because of them. Detroit, they run it 61% of the time. Minnesota, they run it 69% of the time. That's incredible. That's That jumps out at me. That's- and their success rate on those runs is 17%. One out of six, basically. And Warren added on that one, idiots. <laughs> he wrote that in. I like when he editorializes. So for me, it's like, here's a team like Minnesota 
that is firmly in the playoff race, and we're we're saying that Kirk Cousins is an MVP candidate, and Dalvin Cook should be in the running too, and they're doing this by making one of the worst decisions you can make. Right. The Jets on second and ten are running sixty-two percent of the time. They are 15% successful, and they're averaging 2.7 yards per carry. Barf. Adam Gase. The Chargers are running at 56% of the time on second down. Their runs have a success rate of 30%. When they pass in the same situation, they have a success rate of 75%. What's wild about all of these teams— Detroit, Minnesota, Jets, and the Chargers. They are all more successful wildly with the pass, and they still continue to run. And then you look at those teams. Mike Zimmer in Minnesota, they're obsessed with the run. Uh, yeah, Matt it. Patricia in Detroit, obsessed with the run. The Jets, Adam Gase, people are going, what are you doing? And the Chargers, as we said time and time again, have a weak and or non-existing analytics department. These are teams that can't get out of their own way. They're winning in spite of their coaches. And you just makes you look at it and go, how could a billion dollar organization not look on a week to week basis at things they are doing, but instead Warren Sharp mustache and all in a basement in Virginia can figure it out. Just, it blows my mind. Absolutely. And those are some really great stats. It's a great way to follow the league and sort of understand what the, how the coaches are impacting the play calling and all that stuff. I'm interested to know from Warren, and maybe he talked about this with you, maybe not, maybe it's something to ask for next week. Is there a golden percentage that teams should be passing on second and 10? Because obviously you can't load up and pass on second and 10 95% of the time. You become too predictable. So is it somewhere in that 59 to 65% range? I think that's a really good question yeah. for him. I think that's actually an interesting thing is you look at percentages and you want to know what window should you be in. Right. Um, and I think the way you find that is, is you go, okay, what's the passing rate of the Patriots, Niners, and Saints? <laughs> yeah, like, you just go like candidly, yeah. yeah. So, But I imagine there's some sort of bell curve of diminishing returns if you do it too little or absolutely. too much. Yeah, if you're throwing some... it 80% of the time. Right. But sometimes I think that's what Warren wants. Sometimes <laughs> I think he wants to do that. All right, so then I said, okay, I have another situation. I want to out these dumb coaches. Yeah. And a situation that, that he has found, which is really dummies, is it's second and short. And Warren always says, run the ball. And also, by the way, these kind of statistics, I love to use this when I'm watching a game. When I'm watching Eagles Patriots and it's second and short and the Eagles run and they don't get it, and now it's third and short. Mm -hmm. And the statistic that Warren found was when you run on third and short, you're successful 70% of the time. So even though you didn't get it on second and short, you should run it on third because if you pass, it drops from 70 to 56. Mm -hmm. So when I watch the Eagles on Sunday and I'm rooting hard against the Seahawks and they run on second and short and don't get it, and then they pass on third and short, that's when I get to yell, are you fucking dumb? And as a fan, I feel really smart right there. Yeah. So if you throw on third and short after running it, who are the biggest violators of this? Thus far, Washington does this 86% of the time. That can't, that's, that doesn't feel right. That's insane. The Steelers do it 83% of the time. The Bears have done it 67% of the time. And here's what's wild. Remember also, it, these are smaller sample sizes. Of course. So the, this has happened to the Bears nine times, where they've had second and short, run, didn't get it, and then got to third down. 
They've passed six times. They've run it three, and those three were successful every single time. Mm-hmm. But they're still passing it twice as much as they run it. Smaller sample sizes, but it's actually like that's called situational football. Right. That's that there are limited amount of times in which you get to make the right decision and you're making a mistake well more than you're making the right decision. And I'm very interested in the coming years as this uh, coaches risking it on fourth down starts becoming more and more of a regular thing instead of like we look at Harbaugh. Wow, what a risk taker. He's a great bull. As this start starts happening, your view of second down play calling and your view of third down play calling will totally change because if you've got second and one, we now think you've got two chances to punch it to a first down. But now, if you become the John Harbaugh, if John Harbaugh becomes the regular Peterson, norm, John you, now, Harbaugh. you now have yeah. three chances of getting that first down, and maybe that changes up. Maybe you're you're more likely to throw it a little bit deep on second down, or even on third and one. It is interesting in terms of like the ability to take a risk. But I know Warren has always said that first downs and and getting to the next down is the biggest because I bet you there's also the notion sure you could take a chance on second but the percentage of completion by running it on second and third compared to running it on second third and fourth mm-hmm. I mean it, it might go from like 80% to 90% sure and the fact that uh if you if you're known as a coach or known as a team that is often going to go for it on fourth and one, you completely have to shift your defensive mindset against them on second and one and third and one yeah. because now all of a sudden everything is in play on second and one and third and one. What's wild to me is how many teams are actually thinking like this. Well, I'm just saying this is this is a shift that I'm excited for. Yeah. As you, you and Warren and I are all on the same page about it's not just about saying this is going to happen or this is going to happen, but it's about watching the teams play the most efficiently. And if we start to see more and more evidence that going forward on fourth down is a better evidential play and increases your percentage of chance of winning, then more coaches will start doing this. This will become the regular mindset and then the analytics will shift. I also love that as the league gets younger, it's going to happen more and more. Mm -hmm. And that the people that say things like we need to establish the run we need to pound the rock. We need, you know, like if we run it 25 times in a game, we're 19-1. Like people that cling to the old mind. And I feel like this has been a transitional year. And I think partially it's because of the people that we're discussing in the MVP race. Mm-hmm. Lamars and Dax and, and the Deshaun's and the Russell Wilson's. Um, these were people that were deemed by the old guard, not even quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the most blatant and egregious um, ignorance of that generation is their inability to look by and then to suppress people from playing positions and jobs. Yeah. And now it's going to swing so hard the other way that that high school football coach, the coach that never punts bleacher report did a story about him. All he does is kick onside kicks and go for it on I've fourth heard about down. This guy. Even if it's like fourth and 10 from your own. And I think they've line. won like 10 state championships in a row. He probably has some talent on his team. In addition to some crazy coaching tactics. I don't know, man. We, <laughs> I'm telling you bleacher report went down there. I bet he has some talent on that team. I'm sure, There's some talent, yeah. but also like, I bet you they also practice those situations more yeah. than any other team, thus giving you an edge. Like there are even edges. Me and Warren laugh about this too, where Belichick never says anything about the other team. He never talks about strategy mm-hmm. at all. But a coach like Doug Marone, after a loss to the Colts, will come out and say, "We're not running the ball with Leonard Fournette enough." Right. And then Warren will go, "What are you doing?" The other coach now is going to go, "Guys, okay, let's think about the situations." in which they're typically going to maybe go past, but they're going to go run now. We're going to load more guys. Like, why would you ever give that out? And and look, 
I wouldn't put it past some coaches that might put out false information. But coaches like Doug Marone, who are fervent eaters of bologna sandwiches, are, and that's a fact. They like to be like, I'm a meat and potatoes guy. I tell it like it is. And if I think Leonard Fournette's not getting the ball enough, I'm going to say it like it is. I I bet you if I Googled Doug Marone, tell it like it is, I could find seven different articles. (laughs) Right. And it's just, it's very funny to me that even down to that, there's efficiency. Mm -hmm. What we say to the media. Yeah. And uh, when you when you slack back and forth with Warren for an hour and 45 minutes, you realize all of the things he's paying attention to. And that remember when Crack was in here preseason saying that he employs multiple readers, people to just read every article because these coaches give away their secrets. I remember him saying that during the preseason. Yes. That guys are a lot looser about stuff. And, you know, like some coach might let it slip or some offensive coordinator or some assistant might let it slip. Like, ah, you know what? We're going to give DeAndre Hopkins the afternoon off. Like they might say something like yes. that before a preseason game. You can bet on these preseason games. Yes. At the same point, I believe this is the time of the year where the coaches start to slip again. Mm. Number one, coaches on the hot seat. You need to provide explanations. You start talking in circles, you start saying things. Number two, coaches outperforming expectations. A little bit of ego, a little bit of confidence. You start kind of losing track. There are only certain guys that I think never give it away, and that's the Camp Belichick. <laughs> Other than that, like Doug Peterson gives away stuff all the time. Right. Well, what we got to get it to this guy more. What okay. you just said about coaches having to provide explanations, and I understand that. We're all in job preservation mode. And if you've got yeah. a kick-ass job as the head coach of an NFL team, you want to keep that job. I understand that. But you have to explain it to the media because we still talk about things in traditional old-school terms. That if you punt the ball, you, quote, played it safe. As opposed to if you went for it on fourth down, you, quote, were bold. But if the evidence says that going for it on fourth down is a better percentage play, yes. we should start referring to punting as the risky play because you're taking the risk of just handing the ball back to your opponents. 100%. And if, if we as the media start to phrase it that way, then these coaches won't have to, you know, hang dog, go up at the, at the podium and say like, yeah, you know, we just oh, really sorry. Do it in Kendall. Do it in Kendall. Yeah. So, uh, Dad, uh, I just we you know we punted and uh, I I feel bad. We we you know we gave the ball back to Deshaun Watson and uh, he scored he scored and I I feel terrible. Like he should nice. have to explain that part. I agree. Well, that's why John Harbaugh's rant a few weeks ago explaining. Uh, it was after the Chiefs' loss about how the reason they went for it all the, on all the fourth downs and all the two-point conversions and the math that they looked into it. And a lot of people thought he was making excuses. And really, it's one of the few franchises in this league that has done the analytical work and has subscribed to it to a level that even when there are days that the 20% hits, mm-hmm. we're staying to it. And the media couldn't understand it. And, but I, I will say this. The people that I follow on Twitter— the analytics communities, the the communities that are not afraid to break things down and it's not just all gut. There are, if you are watching broadcast television, you are not learning anything about football. Let me say that again for the people in the back. <laughs> if you are watching broadcast television, you are learning very little about football. There are some people that are on the major networks and, and I think you know who they are at the four letters and all that stuff, that they do have great things to say. The problem is, is they have 45 seconds to say it and they can't get into any depth. There are podcasts that you can listen to. That's not broadcast. There are articles you can read. That's not broadcast. But my problem is, is that most people watch Sunday morning pregame shows. They watch midweek debate shows and there is no information. And I think it's keeping the level of discourse about the NFL in 1980. Mm -hmm. 
The main analysts for certain NFL shows include John Fox, Jimmy Johnson. I got to stop naming names. This is getting intense. But these are people, and I don't want to say Jimmy Johnson because Jimmy Johnson was at the forefront for a lot of analytics in the early 90s. But people like John Fox are exactly what we're talking about. And we're putting them in positions to honor the old guard. And it, it blows my mind mm-hmm. because there's no inherent value in listening. We know all of their catchphrases. We know all of them. You said it. Playing it safe. Yeah. Being bold. You know, and there's nothing else. And when you're a non-analytics follower, if you're someone that just like believes in the maxims, right? Then when the one time it fails, if you go for it on fourth down and it fails, they go, see, told you. I know. As opposed to saying like, well, can we look at the sample size of the last 75 times this this happened and you were successful 68% of the time or whatever? Sometimes I think the fact that the NFL is a low sample size game yes. combined with the fact that it's the most brutal of the games and has the most catchphrases <laughs> yeah. like rub some dirt on it and gridiron and all this and stuff. cut your finger off if you're in pain. I think it's like the worst combination. Because it's like the people that inherently would hate analytics the most <laughs> in a game that has the least reliable analytics. Yeah, It's just a weird combination. Speaking of analytics that I do trust, and let's get a little bit more positive, it is Warren's baby, EDSR, early down success rate. Last week, what do you know, 4-0 week. And if you included the other three games that he talked about, it really was a 7-0 week. Amazing. But I am not going to count the, those other three. We need to keep it facts. So it was 4-0 straight up, 3-1 and against the spread. It got Buffalo over Miami. It got the Rams over Chicago. It got the Browns over the Steelers. The only one it didn't cover was the Niners over Arizona. But again, Warren said on the podcast that number was way too big. Mm-hmm. So... He EDSR from the time we started counting, I think in week six, it is now 19 and five overall 13, 11 and one against the spread. And the 49ers, they won by 10, but he had him at 10 and a half or something. Uh, The line was 11. Okay. At some places it came down to nine and a half. I know that was like a, that was a disaster for Vegas. That final touchdown on the punt. I think so far I've used the Westgate lines. Okay for everything just to kind of keep it as one simple thing. That makes sense. But you're right. I guess in some ways it's still covered. That's the power of EDSR. <laughs> EDSR, it covers. Wait, can I just make my pitch for EDSR ASMR? Okay. This, this is just for you to like okay. have, a, have yeah, your own YouTube it. channel. I just It just was something that popped into my head. It's just you whispering very calm tones about ASMR. So it's like you can learn and it's very soothing. And okay. heading into a very stressful gambling day on Sunday, you can just listen to EDSR ASMR. I'm okay, just, EDSR ASMR AMSR ASMR. ASMR, yeah. It's those like those whispering. Soup. I want everyone to go back and listen to that last exchange in slow motion. So put your <laughs> podcast at point five and just hear some more, hear some more. Okay. Uh, all right. I'll do that. So I have the four biggest EDSR matchups for week 12, the traditional one that includes all year. And then I have the four weighted, which is the last month. I asked Warren, I said, which one do you value more? He said, it should be a blend. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So here is your traditional EDSR mismatches for week 12. Number one, (laughs) Titans over Jaguars. Titans over Jaguars. Yeah. Number two, Bills over Broncos. Bills over Broncos. I'm just saying it at normal voice in case you're like in the subway right now and you can't hear the whistle. Yeah. 49ers. 49ers over Packers. I would have thought that those guys were pretty similar. Great play callers, but okay. I know it's the third biggest. That's the third biggest mismatch. 
<laughs> Very soothing to hear someone drink water. Browns over dolphins. That's the lock of the week, baby. Oh, the Loch Ness monsters. All right, so here are the right, here are the weighted EDSRs. If you just look at the last month, only factoring the last month. Number one, Saints with a monster EDSR advantage over the Panthers, and they are nine and a half point favorites. So that makes sense. The Jets. Big EDSR weighted mismatch over the Raiders, and they are an underdog here. That caught my attention, um, and, and the Jets are playing much better as of late, but that still caught me off guard. Mm-hmm. Number three weighted EDSR mismatch, Cowboys over Patriots. Ingber, your reaction to that? I mean, look, (laughs) no one's going to sit here and defend the Patriots offense this year. They haven't looked dominant since they won, you know, 43 nothing over the Dolphins in week two. I mean, they had a couple of dominant wins over the Redskins and over Luke Fox Jets. Yes. But they when when they played the Ravens, they got their clocks cleaned when they played the Eagles. That was a very much could have gone either way. One fumble or one interception either way. That's a three point game. Uh, I, we'll get into that game later. Yeah, I, I, I just wanted your initial reaction. That's my initial reaction. Is like I don't, I don't really believe that this Patriots offense, in its current form, right, right, it could round into shape. It will, but in its current form, I, I am not up in arms. That we uh, need to walk Patriots. around the streets of New York and just start making bets about the Patriots. Sure. Like, if there's a time to buy low on the Pats, it is right freaking now. Yeah, that stock is down. Oh, it's so good. All right, and the fourth biggest weighted EDSR matchup is the Titans over the Jaguars. So let me tell you a few things that I got just from looking at both lists. Number one, there are two underdogs in terms of the betting lines that have a weighted EDSR advantage. Mm -hmm. That caught my attention. I love underdogs thus far in our season-long EDSR. Anytime that an upset popped up, it's 4-1. and So it's had a good run thus far. We are going to talk about Dallas-New England later in terms of best games, but I first want to talk about one of these underdogs, Jets, Raiders. Why don't you set it up for us, the line, where we stand with the money and all that stuff, and any interesting nuggets? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Raiders obviously 6-4 and four, heading into this matchup against the 3-7 and seven Jets. It's in New York. The line has gone from 4.5 uh, Raiders favored to just 3 points, so people mm. are betting the Jets. That line is going down, and uh, the total has actually gone over in 5 of the last 6 games for the Jets, which I thought was interesting. So the over-under over currently listed at 47.5, which is a lot of points, but uh, Oakland and, and the Jets, they can put up points. Uh, they've, they've been outperforming Vegas's expectations of them. When this popped up, I, I said to Warren, Oh my lord. Cleet Blakeman. <laughs> He's your guy. Yes. Cleet Blakeman last week, the under of the Cleveland-Pittsburgh game, did in fact hit. That means that thus far this year, Cleet Blakeman, in the nine games he's refed, the under is hit. Nine times? Nine times. That's incredible. Now, the Browns, they were the favorite. They won, so that kind of hurt his underdog record a little bit. Cleet Blakeman, in, the, in his last 14 games, the underdog has covered the spread 11-3. and three. So I have Jets with an EDSR mismatch, home against a West Coast team at 1 o'clock, which I know isn't that big of a deal, but I still like mentioning it with sure. the Raiders, yep. coming into town, and Cleet Blakeman is refing the game. I'm getting very excited. This is very good Warren uh, homage right now, where you're not using one data point. No, no, no. You're using three or four data points to sort of all mesh, mismatch together to point to the same pick. So I told Warren, we got a Cleet Blakeman sighting. Mm. 
Warren said, I love the Jets even before you told me, Cleet Blakeman. Now, he did say this. What is the current line? The current line is three. No, no, the uh, total. Over-under is 47 and a half. 47 and a half. Let me see if it's shifted at all, but go ahead. So, Warren told me he was leaning towards the under early when it was at 48. If it's at 47 and a half, yeah, just check the update on that. It's now 46 and a half at some point. Oh, places. here it goes. Yep. So, Warren said at around 46 and a half, there's not as much value. He saw it more in the 45s, which... It's still leaning towards the under, and maybe this is a game where you hope it kind of gets bet up a little bit. Sure. But Warren did say, Adam, I do have a concern. It is the Jets' secondary. They are bad. And he's, he worries that because Oakland's offensive line is healthy now and giving Derek Carr time, he, they might be able to pick apart the secondary. That is his concern. Obviously, Sam Darnold's been kind of clicking. He's playing in Oakland secondary. It's not as bad as Miami and the Jets and Washington, Miami, the Giants and the Washington who Darnold's face. Sure. But it's not that great. But because of my love for this one data point, I will be betting the under this weekend in Jets Raiders. I'm going to hope that the line goes up at the same point. I don't really care if it gets to 46. (laughs) I'm still going to bet it because I just want to be able to yell Cleet Blakeman. It is, it is a lot of fun to root for the under and yell the ref's name. That's great. Because I'll tell you, man, when it was Brown Steelers and there was one drive where I needed the Steelers to come back and there were two illegal hands to the faces, a very questionable personal foul call, and a P.I. on the same drive, Mm -hmm. getting to yell, Cleet Blakeman, in my apartment by myself was a rush that I haven't had in years. So we all love, uh, you know, yelling Kobe when we shoot a a napkin into the trash can. (laughs) I think Cleet. Should be the new thing we yell when a punch. Or it could be Blakeman, but the problem is his first name is so good. I just love, like, you just when the when the ball hits the foot for a punt, because you know it's just like yet another drive that didn't result yeah. in points, you just go, Cleet. I would do Cleet, really. There's nothing I like more than a really big play, and then the yellow box pops up on ah. the screen. For me, it's negating big plays is what I'm hoping for from Cleet. That's funny. It's, there's something about watching a game, and a guy goes for a 50-yard run. Yep. Hold Holding on the offense. So Repeat second down. I'm probably going to do a Jets under uh, Jets money line under parlay. Mm-hmm. I love one of those 50, bring me back, you know, 150 or whatever. That sounds great. 100, bring me back 333. Uh, but that, that was one of the things. Again, we're going to get to Dallas, New England later. Yep. Second thing I learned from looking at Warren's season-long EDSR, and as he said, blending it with the weighted, is Tennessee's on both. Tennessee, uh, last time I checked, was sitting as a three-point favorite over the Jaguars. Where is it at now? Uh, the Jaguars right now. Yeah, Tennessee, Jacksonville. Right. It's a Titans, Titans minus three. And, okay. Uh, the over-unders at 41.5. Jaguars did win 20-7 to seven last time. Obviously, both teams had different that was the then. That was the Gardner-Minshew breakout Coming Thursday out night football game um, where I bet yeah, I made a lot of money on, on Daily Fantasy on that game. That was great. <laughs> so that was Minshew versus Mariota, and now we've obviously oh. got two very different guys. Okay, so that's what Warren told me. He said, okay, look, new quarterbacks, it's night and day. But the problem is when you're looking at metrics like EDSR, Jacksonville has a new quarterback, and since he's only played for one week, there's not enough numbers in the system. And as we talked about with Doug Marone, if Doug Marone does, in fact, run the ball with Leonard Fournette, Jacksonville could be a lot scarier here, but Tennessee has not faced a run offense as bad as Jacksonville in the last six weeks. Mm. 
but Jacksonville has to run the ball. But when Jacksonville has played good run defenses, three points against Houston, six points against New England, 12 points against Houston, 26 against Denver. And remember, Denver just couldn't get any offense going and kept putting that uh, that Jacksonville offense on the field. Um, but he did say this. I'll get to this last point. He really doesn't like Tennessee at all. He doesn't like their offensive coordinator. He doesn't trust their head coaches. He really prefers Jacksonville's offensive coordinator. Filippo comes from a pass-first background, mm-hmm. so it plays a lot better to the EDSR matchups. He said, I know they're popping up on both metrics. I don't like this game. And, and if, I understand it. Look, if you're still out there and you're still thinking about putting money on this game in either direction, you can just call the Jaguars team line. The, the phone number's on their website. And Doug Marone will get on the phone and tell you how much they're planning on running the ball. We're going to run it all the time. <laughs> He'll let you know which downs they're going <laughs> to run it on. It's very helpful. It's a nice hotline. I just, you know what? I I think this offseason or maybe throughout the rest of this year, I'd like to construct a Lefko betting Bible. And it's not one that I think other people should subscribe to. It's just ones that I would like to. It's nice to have rules that you follow over the course of a year, even if it's wrong a few times. Like, it's nice to have a system. And I like when they're abstract rules. Mm-hmm. Like, like commandment one might be, when in doubt, don't bet on Jameis Winston. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Like, like, if you're not sure, don't bet on Jameis Winston. I've lost so much money on Jameis Winston this year. Bet number two, don't bet on matchups in the AFC South. I believe that there is no division that I have understood less in the last five years than the Titans, the Texans, the Jaguars, and the Colts. None of it makes sense to me. They all have weird little rivalries. All of their quarterbacks are unreliable or often sacked. And I just, I always find myself betting on Titans Colts. Mm -hmm. And so when I see Titans Jags, I just, I don't want to be a part of it. That's going to be one of my commandments. My commandment, and this is true for poker, this is true for sports gambling, just the commandment that I have in the back of my head is, don't get cute. Just try to win money. Mm. Don't get cute. It's so easy to get cute. It is. Hey, you know, who's going on the road and might be done? Just stop. Just try to win money. That's my brain. All right. The last really big nugget that I took from EDSR, because we're going to talk about 49ers Packers later, because I think that jumped out to me too. Yep. I don't want to spend time on Saints Panthers. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't like talking about big lines. I'd rather talk about the little lines. But the biggest one was, I said, hey man, that's really interesting in the traditional matchup that the Bills are a big matchup over the Broncos. And Warren came out and said, I love the over. 36 and a half is the over under right now. That's that's not a lot of points at all. Set it up for me. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you why R. Warren Sharp likes the over in a game in which Brandon Allen is facing the Bills defense and Sean McDermott yep. and Josh Allen is facing Vic Fangio and the Broncos. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound like it makes sense. But I got it for you. What is the game set up like right now? We've got Broncos at Bills. Uh, line open at minus five. The over-unders at 36 and a half. Obviously, the Broncos three and seven going against the seven and three Bills. Brandon Allen, even though he's a rookie and kind of not like yep, highly yep. touted, has and he's got really tiny points, hands. 24 points and 23 points in the last two weeks. Yeah. You know, right there, you're two-thirds of the way to the over, right? You know, if he can yeah. put up something close to that. Broncos five and one against the spread in their last six games. 
So they've, they been, have been, they've been outperforming. They've had the perfect cacophony of playing certain teams that underperformed, that had to go to mile high, a new quarterback coming in and everyone doubting him. So those were like two. And, and to be honest, Brandon Allen has, has had some great plays. Mm-hmm. That first three quarters against Minnesota, some of the deep balls he was dropping into Cortland Sutton were beautiful. Uh, I know the Noah Fant play was a little freakish, but he was able to drive the ball up and down on Cleveland. That's a really good defense. Yeah. But this is going to be a little bit of an infomercial for sharpfootballanalysis.com. <laughs> but it. when I – Warren is not this guy that goes, here's my pick. He goes, I am going to give you an eight-paragraph rundown on why I chose this. And when you get done hearing it, you go, that is such a lock, a lead pipe lock tip that I have to take it. So I see, I see, I see, I see my client, Warren Sharp, ha- <laughs> believes – that the Bills and the Broncos will go over on Sunday. I am talking like this because my plan is ironclad. My evidence is perfection, and your excuses will pop off of me like Teflon. Number one, do you know, young man, where offensive coordinator Brian Dayball coached last week against Miami? It was different. Do you know? Would you like to guess? I, the, the voice is getting in my head. I'm like missing the question itself that you asked. Please just answer yourself. <laughs> okay. Should I keep talking like this or no? It's funny to me. I just It's really hard to focus on the information when there's so many trappings happening on okay. the side. Last week, for the first time all year, yeah. offensive coordinator for the Bills, Brian Dayball, coached upstairs in the booth. Oh, I see. Not from the sideline. And all of a sudden... He was able, and he talked about it because coaches talked, said, I was able to talk into Josh Allen's headset a little bit longer, and I saw more of the formations. Wow. Number two, the Bills switched to an up-tempo offense last week, and Brian Dayball came out afterwards and said, that is going to continue. Think about this. Weeks one through 10, it took them about 28 seconds between snaps. Last week, 24.8. And you go, what's 3.2? If they did 24.8 the whole year, that's what the Rams are, the fastest team in the NFL. That's how quickly it jumped up. So in a week, Brian Dayball goes, I'm going to go upstairs, and we're going to go up tempo. And I know it was the Dolphins, but they hung up 37, and Josh Allen was your AFC Offensive Player of the Week. Yeah, he looks smooth. Sorry for spitting. Bonus note that isn't even part of my top five. This is all available in sharp football analysis. This is how good Warren is. Buffalo is number three in NFL red zone conversion rate. So when they get down there, they score, and they're going to be going more up-tempo. And that's been true all year. That's not like all some year. random stat nope. that's, that's popped up. I remember in week five, they said something like that, that he was at 75%. They just keep converting in the red zone. Because they pound the rock and they get it done. Yeah. Number, th- number three, Denver has the number 10 ranked rushing attack, and it is the toughest matchup the Bills have faced since the Eagles, Mm -hmm. who was number nine. What did the Eagles do in that game? I remember vividly, I was in London. They ran for 218 yards on the Bills, 5.3 yards per carry, and Miles Sanders ran wild. Here comes Phillip Lindsay. Not only that, we talk about the Patriots' easy schedule. We talk about the Niners' easy schedule. Do not forget that Buffalo's schedule was very easy, too. Sure. So easy, in fact, the number one schedule of opposing offenses. 
the number one easiest pass and the number one easiest run. Maybe this Bills defense is a little overrated because even though they faced the easiest run and pass defenses, they are 27th against the run. Philip Lindsay and the Denver Broncos just last week made Philip Lindsay their lead back. They're number one. They, st- they, they started getting rid of Royce Freeman carries. Yes. So this is a little daily uh, fantasy nugget. I, as a fantasy owner of Royce Freeman, have noticed his, uh, his lack of uh, carries this year. Well, I, I know no one cares about my fantasy team, but well, yes, I know. I am sorry to you, <laughs> sir. What a bum, right? You know why there. alligators get angry? They got all them teeth and no toothbrush. <laughs> What's <laughs> but, happening? But to that, if you're saying, let's say they play daily fantasy. Yeah. And Philip Lindsay's going up a really tough Buffalo team. Or you're like me, and you have Buffalo's defense. Maybe you don't feel so confident in him. Number four, as you mentioned earlier, a lot of people are worried about Brandon Allen when it comes to betting this over. Why are you worried? 23 points against Cleveland, a very good defense. 24 points in Minnesota against Mike Zimmer. Are you saying that I came up with the same stat independently that Warren Sharp did? This might be like the highlight of my prognostication life. You nailed it. Oh my God. What a day. What a day. Hello, camera. Lastly, to show you Warren Sharp's incredible power and the reason why I needed him on this show and the reason why I do not hesitate to say if you want some really good information, I value sharpfootballanalysis.com. These two teams, Buffalo and Denver, are 31 and 32 in punt efficiency. Mm, The two worst punt units in the NFL, short fields, getting the ball down there, great field position. Who else in their analysis to discuss an over has the foresight to go and look at punt efficiency. I say that Warren Sharp does. I rest my case. The over. Loving it. The jury just came back, and uh, they're in they're in sharp agreement. They like the agreement? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is the over-under? So right now, I'm seeing the over-under at 37 and a half. Hmm, so it's popped up since I wrote these notes last night then. What does you have it at? I had it at 36 and a half. Oh, man. I don't know. Yeah, I got it at 37 and a half at most places here. Yeah. So um, I still think that looks good. Anytime Warren gives me stuff like that, it could go to 40. And I'd be like, yeah, I'll take it. Now, I know there's obviously like a probably four window. Uh, if he really likes it, usually there's a little bit of variance there. Sure. Uh, but yeah, man, when he started giving me all those nuggets, I was like, uh, all right, Bill's Broncos were riding that wagon. Yep. When you hear all that, like, what is it like to, like, does it get you excited that you feel like you're on the end? It does. Yeah. I mean, hearing this information throughout the year has been very instructive. I, you know, for people that don't know, I'm in the booth sort of listening yeah. in on all this stuff. And I'm in your ear a few times trying to throw, throw in a little, little nugget here and there, but just listening to Warren Sharp. It's, as I said, it, over the summer, we were talking about it. My favorite thing in the world is watching someone who's really good at what they do, do what they do. I don't care if you're a three point shooting specialist. I don't care if you're the world's best uh, gardener. I don't care if you're the world's best stonemason. Watching someone that's really good at what they do, do their thing is just something we should all appreciate. And Warren Sharp is really good at putting these numbers together. And then when I look at the Bills and I think about that defense, just to add a little bit more context, Miami was going up and down the field. They hung 20 points on Buffalo. And if you remember, 
I think it was either right before the half or right after the half, there was a huge catch and run by Alan Hearns that was going for 50 yards, and he just got hit and fumbled it. Mm. So there could be more points on the board. The Cleveland Brown game, don't forget, Cleveland had like seven or eight plays within the two-yard line and left with three points. So Cleveland, again, was driving up and down the field. That was also the first game where they changed the lines in the end zone to vertical instead of horizontal, utilizing more of positive vision to invite into the end zone. This is a Mark Sessler take from around the NFL. He petitioned it, they did it, and Cleveland's offense has been clicking ever since. Hmm. I love storylines like that. That is like, what's that woman on on Netflix that brings joy and organism Marie Kondo it's like it's as if Marie Kondo went to Cleveland and said vertical stripes not horizontal stripes (laughs) she said get rid of all of the things in your life that are not sparking joy on this team yes only focus on the horizontal stripes and the game before that was Washington which was Dwayne Haskins first game like kind of starting so um I just I love that one all right a little Lefko bye week update. There are people in this office that love, including your podcast partner, Jake Strasser, uh, focusing on teams coming after a bye. Yes. I went back and looked it up. Thus far this season, teams off of a bye straight up in their next game are 8-16 and 16 against the spread 8-15. and 15. And I did want to notice that there were two matchups this year in which there were two teams facing each other after a bye. So it's kind of a wash. Um, There there were a few of those in there where it was like right up coming off the bye, you were at 49ers or at Saints. I noticed there were a few games in there that were tough wins straight up. But yeah, yeah. against the spread numbers are actually pretty startling. Uh, And then I think last week, teams off of a bye were one in five. Right. Straight up and two and four against the spread. The way that I always think about it, and this is not analytical at all. This is very much beer football. Um, I feel like if a team is clicking before a bye, that's when I want to bet against them. And if a team was struggling before a bye, I kind of want to bet with them. And I know I'm taking one data point, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking about Atlanta goes into the bye and it's exactly what they needed. And then I think about the Saints going to a bye or these other teams that went to a bye and it kind of felt, it's just ruining the momentum. So it's like if you're, if you're, like I literally in a great analytical show just brought up one data point <laughs> and the word momentum. I felt criminal. Uh, yeah, someone will be very quickly debunking everything you just said with numbers, but who cares? Uh, yeah, so so what you're saying, just sort of anecdotally, the feeling is that if things are going well, you don't want to take that extra At all. off. And that's always the, the argument people get about getting the one seed or the two seed, right? If, Rust. If, if you're the two seed and you lose that first home game in the playoffs, everyone says, see, they took two weeks off and they couldn't get it together. They just didn't remember the speed of the game. But if they win, they go, see, they needed those two weeks in January yep. to get everybody, you know, everyone's banged up. They're I remember good. when the Lakers right whatever the, narrative. Of course. Lakers played the Sixers game one of the NBA Finals and the Lakers swept everybody and the Sixers went to like three straight seven game series and the Lakers had like two weeks off and they lost game one. And oh, it, Allen Iverson, 2001. Allen Iverson yeah. went off for 50-something points. But the narrative was it was too much time off for the Lakers there. Yeah, yeah, you can go either way. And then, But what usually happens is the other team comes back and wins four straight because they're very well rested. That game one is the Iverson walking over Ty Lue. Yes. That's that moment? Yeah. Okay. I I remember every part of that night. I bet. I remember Rajah Bell's big shot. I remember Eric Snow got stuck in the lane and just shot it and made it. Uh, Dikembe Mutombo got like a block on Shaq. Oh, it was great. Um, so the teams coming off of buys this week, two of them are interesting to me. Uh, the two that are not so interesting, Giants, 
coming off of a bye, taking on Chicago. Chicago, an absolute free fall. I believe they're, what, six-point favorites right now? Yeah, the Giants, uh, it opened at seven and a half. It's been bet down to six. Gotcha. Um, Another one, Tennessee coming off of a bye. We talked about them already, EDSR mismatches in both. But the two that are coming off a bye that are interesting to me, Seahawks coming off of that monster win against San Francisco, now going to Philadelphia, 1 o'clock game. They're coming off of a bye. And the Packers coming off of a bye to take on the Niners Sunday night football. Let's talk about the 1 o'clock game, Seattle at Philadelphia, Seahawks coming off of a bye. Mm -hmm. Where where did the line start? Where is it now? Uh, it was Seahawks plus three. It's now down to plus two. But I will say the most interesting thing I noted about this game is that it is the third most public team of the week. 82% of the bets are on the Seahawks right now. So much so that right now I'm seeing that I'm seeing a few one and a halves and even more ones in Vegas. Mm. So it's being bet what percentage? 82% of the bets. And you don't know how much money that is. Of course. Right? One bet could come in and be, uh, you know, as much as a sharp, else. a sharp side. But yeah. it means that it's a very public team right now that a lot of people with 20 to a hundred dollar range are going to the window and saying, I'd like the Seahawks plus one and a half plus two plus three. That's why it got bet down, obviously. And now it's gone from three to one. Uh, Warren's first sentence about this game. I hate everything about this game. The sharp side will be on Philadelphia. So if you're someone that loves to bet against the public, and I know there's a lot of people that make a lot of money like that, you're betting Philly. And I would say, let this line continue to go. There, there might be a chance where you get you get points with Philadelphia in this game. It's going to get bet so much to that side. Philadelphia is in free fall right now. I just saw a Bleach Report article in which it says Wentz doesn't trust his his wide receivers. His wide receivers don't trust him. Uh, the coach is being questioned publicly. The wide receivers are being completely derided. This team is in free fall. Seattle. Russell Wilson, even in a bye week, is your leader in MVP voting right now. Yep. Uh, the Niners have a little bit of questions. I'm seeing people saying the Seahawks could take that division. So it's, it's getting that big. Warren, though, said, Adam, keep this in mind again about Seattle. They barely beat Cleveland. They lost to Baltimore. They barely beat Tampa Bay in overtime. They were down handedly against San Francisco until they got all those defensive scores like Jadavian Clowney. The public perception right now is what you saw on Monday Night Football and the fact they have Russell Wilson. Don't forget what the Eagles defense has now done the last few weeks, shutting down New England and looking a lot better in wins over Buffalo and and Chicago. Now he said uh, his big concern is with the Eagles secondary, even though they've got a lot of guys back, it could just turn into Rusty and Russ. Yep. And when you're betting against Russell Wilson, it's the scariest thing ever. But if you're going to bet this game, you got to go on the sharp side here to Philadelphia. You have to. This, it's at home, too. This is the perfect example of what I was saying at the start of this podcast, which is that I'm here to just present the information yes. that's out there. This feels like when Cleveland Browns were favored over the Bills at home and the, the Browns were 2-6 and six and the Bills People were 6-2. People going, and two. how is this possible? What the hell is happening? Why is the 2-6 and six team favored over the 6-2? and two? You could say the same thing right now. You just look at the numbers. You You're say, right. okay, this the Eagles, a very are, similar field. Eagles are 5-5, five and five, Seahawks are 8-2. and two. Explain to me why the Seahawks aren't you know, a 3, 3.5, 4-point favorite in this. Well, you know, in that case, a lot of the public money was on the Bills and it didn't come through. The Browns won. You yes. Know? 
They won out they won Y3, and it was like the perfect line. Uh, but this one, that one, the line stayed at three all week long. But people were confused by it all. There was, that was the chatter, I thought. Absolutely. But I'm just saying it's interesting, though, that this one is dropping. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's, well, there's a lot of money. There's a, there must be a lot of money and the percentage 82%. of tickets. 82% of the tickets are on the Seahawks, as, as according to the numbers that I found on a few different sites. If I was also going to look back into our podcast from week six or seven, I was saying that the Eagles were going to beat the Seahawks at home. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to forget that I knew they were going to lose to the Patriots, and then here comes the second game. The Eagles play better when they're underdogs. They play better when they're angry. They play better coming off of a loss. Don't forget, when they got shellacked by the Cowboys, they went to Buffalo and won by 18. This is not that great of a Seahawks defense, but at the same point, I know that I'm not going to bet on this game, but there's part of me that would rather root I would rather that would rather want my money to be with Russell Wilson in a pinch than Carson Wentz in this offense in a pinch. Yeah, but all the sign like my brain saying bet Eagles in this game. One more thing to bring up, just because it's pretty interesting with Russell Wilson: five and zero straight up on the road this year, two and three at home. Mm. This is obviously going into Philadelphia. Just throwing it up, you know. A lot of people say, "Hey, West Coast going to the East Coast team. It's a one o'clock game, yeah. etc." Uh, but Russell Wilson has been undefeated on the road, which is very impressive. Even if it's, you know, minor wins, winning by one, winning by two, whatever, it's still impressive. I believe this was supposed to have been a Sunday night football game and it got flexed out and it kind of screwed my brother from getting to go to the game. Well, it's because it's, it's Packers 49ers, right? Yeah, exactly. That's that's tough to beat at this point. It's interesting too, but like Seahawks Eagles, you're like, that has, Oh yeah. Two months ago, I would have been like, hell yeah. That sounds like a great. Yeah. All right. Big four o'clock game, Dallas at new England. Mm -hmm. Remember, again, in terms of weighted EDSR, the third biggest mismatch of the week was Cowboys over Patriots. I said, Warren, how is this possible? Before I get to that, why don't you set this game up for us? We've got Cowboys at Patriots. Patriots just played the uh, NFC East rivals of the uh, the Eagles last week. Just barely beat them in a a pretty slugfesty type game. Patriots line opened at seven. It's now been bet down to six and a half. The over-under has hovered around 46. Uh, the money line around minus 290 for the Patriots, which feels pretty heavy juice. That means that I feel like a lot of people are betting that the Patriots will win this game, mm. uh, will win it outright, even if they are, there's not so much confidence that they'll cover. So over the last four weeks, Dallas's offense and New England's offense, in terms of EDSR, Dallas 7, New England 24. Checks out. Mm-hmm. The narrative, Dak's been great. Tom Brady in that offense hasn't been clicking. Also, to Tom's offense, I don't want to keep shitting on Tom. He really doesn't have any weapons right now. No, I, mean, I just but, want to get that out there. I, I, I think you have, you've you've caveated enough times this season that it's like if we if we say anything negative about Tom Brady, oh. it's just simply in the context of what just happened. No one's pouring dirt on the team. You know, he'll be fine. He'll figure it out. Fuck everybody on Twitter. <laughs> New England on defense. New England's EDSR is 18, Dallas is 19. So the reason we have such a big mismatch in the EDSRs is mainly Dallas's offense. Both defenses in the last month have been below average, which is interesting, especially because New England we were talking about a month ago, but Warren kind of predicted it with the schedule change. I do think if you're just looking at the last four games, too, the Ravens game is going to skew their numbers Absolutely. quite a lot because their rush defense looked terrible. And then before that, Cleveland's ability to run on them added to that as well. Warren's biggest concern is the coaching mismatch, which obviously you can say that every Patriots game, even more so in a Patriots Cowboys game, because the Belichick Garrett mismatch is a 
It's a beautiful one. (laughs) Apart from the Ravens game, if you take that one out, teams against New England in the second quarter are averaging 2.2 points, and in the fourth quarter, 1.1. Those are the quarters where Belichick adjusts, and then when he figures you out, you do nothing. In seven of the last nine games, they have held their opponents scoreless in the fourth quarter. Think about that. In seven of the last nine games, if you play the Patriots, you have not scored in the fourth. One of those two was Baltimore. Like, we know that was like a very big outlier game. Your defense is insane in crunch time. It's amazing. You give it to me. Thank you. Yeah, you did it. (laughs) I did a lot. Um, Now, when it comes to Dallas, their defense has done slightly better in the second half, but nothing notable. What is interesting about this matchup is the Cowboys are averaging about nine points per game in the fourth quarter. A pretty solid number. And they're going up against the New England defense. It will be very interesting to watch if Dallas is battling back in the fourth quarter how they do. Um, the big question I had about the, the Dallas's defense, I said, Warren, what scares you the most about Dallas's defense? He said their pass rush, yeah. not being able to get to Brady. Their pass rush ranks 25th, and Isaiah Wynn has a chance to come back. And in terms of getting teams off the field on third down, Dallas is 30th. So if you're not going to get to Brady and your D-line really is not generating pressure, and Demarcus Lawrence was banged up at the end of last game, and you are already the third-worst team in the NFL in getting teams off the field on third down, and there's no one that breaks the back of their opponent more by extending drives on third down than the Patriots, even if it's Rex Burkhead on a dump-off or a random out-throw to Matt Lacoste, Mm -hmm. it's the frickin' Patriots. So there's an EDSR advantage for Dallas, As a Patriots fan, I'm just curious where you stand in Foxborough, Dallas, coming up there and getting a really big test. I just want to know where you stand. Uh, So, again, this is caveat because this is the gambling podcast. This is just me as a fan. This Patriots team needs a stomp down win. They, they need to get back on that track. If, they're, if they have aspirations of uh, getting their seventh Super Bowl, which I know is insane, uh, but if they have aspirations of that, they need to start stomping some teams. And I think a home win after a couple of shaky weeks, uh, yeah. you know, the, that Ravens loss is still just very much reverberating in Pat's nation. A lot of people are just very worried about that game. We need the one seed. Mm. No one wants to go back into Baltimore. No one wants to go to Arrowhead if it ends up working out like that. No one wants to go to any of these other places and play a playoff game. So we, we, we don't want to rest and say like, hey, you know, we'll get to the playoffs with 11, 12 wins. We need to get to the 13, 14 wins because we need to play these games in Foxborough. And this is a great week to say, hey, you know who's amazing in Foxborough? Tom Brady. It doesn't matter if people are banged up. doesn't matter if we have our weapons. This is the week where we make our stand and say, hey, we've got the weapons. We're going to do this. This is a Dallas defense that gave up 24 to the Jets. They just faced Jeff Driscoll and allowed 27 points. They did. And this is definitely a Dallas team that I think is flying high. It's been a great week for Dak Prescott MVP discussions. I partook in that a lot. The line is, is I would wait on this game and let it get bet down even more for people trying to capture that number for the Cowboys. Mm -hmm. I agree with everything you said. Great. It's a four o'clock game in Foxborough. I feel like any time that I ever have seen the Patriots slip, it's those 1 o'clock games in Foxborough. They just kind of start a little bit slow, then they get the machine rolling. But with Dallas at 4 o'clock, 
Dak has been a very good primetime performer. If you look at his statistics in primetime games, he's been great. But for me, this is absolutely the, hey, Dallas, slow your roll a little bit. Because the Patriots, they need that statement win. I, I agree with you completely. From the Dallas side, too, this is going to be a cold-ass game. You know, obviously the, the Cowboys are a dome team. If Ezekiel Elliott wants to put all the doubters to bed, this is the game to do it and say, hey, this is going to be Oh, a it has to be the Zeke game. Yeah. This is going to be the toughest defense that Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup have faced all year. Right, very good secondary, a lot of picks. Uh, Dak Prescott's going to be rolling out. This is a football take on a gambling show. The thing that I'm excited the most about this game is to see who Belichick tries to get to beat him. Mm. If Belichick, because all year it's sort of been like, we'll let Dak beat us. Last year, last week, Dak just faced Patricia. So Belichick has a very similar schemes attack on how to face the Cowboys. And Dak did it perfectly. So in a weird way, I think Belichick has an even better blueprint for the two teams that play the most man-to-man coverage in the NFL are the Detroit Lions and the New England Patriots. The difference is the Detroit Lions are completely banged up and have a bottom five pass defense. The Patriots are not banged up and they have a top five pass defense. Gilmore can go on Cooper. Or does he put Gilmore on Gallup? Because what Belichick has always done is put his number one corner on the number two wide receiver. And then use the middle of the field, the McCordy's and, then put, and everybody. Exactly. Yeah. But Cooper's a little bit banged up. This is a fascinating game that we are going to leave and go, what blueprint did Belichick give us? Mm-hmm. And is he more afraid of Zeke or Dak? Because if he shows no respect to Zeke at all, Monday morning's going to be amazing. <laughs> Every show is going to be just yelling. Quick, fun little trivia question for you. Okay. The Cowboys are one of how many teams that Brady is undefeated against in his career? Wow. Do you have his record against the Cowboys just for reference? They are 4-0 and all time against That's- the Cowboys. And you know what? For two decades? Two decades. Right. You play them every four or five years. He probably had like some beatable Dallas Cowboys teams early and some tough ones late. So he is undefeated, which is perfect because this week LeBron James became the first player to get record a triple double against every team in the NFL. I, I love guys that have been around this long. My favorite, my favorite stat in that vein is that Fred McGriff at some point held the record. He had <laughs> hit a home run in 42 different ballparks. And it's like just because he'd been in both AL and NL. Wow. And just He just played for long. And you know who he has to thank? He outlasted stadiums who Tommy Amansky. <laughs> yeah. I'm Fred McGriff and I like Tommy Amansky's workout video. I would say Tom Brady is undefeated because there's going to be some one and O's and some two and O's there in there no. too. All of these are four or more wins. He's played Holy every team at least. yeah. I'm going to say he's undefeated against eight teams in the NFL. Five teams. Okay, all wow. NFC teams. It's the really? Cowboys, Falcons, Bears, Vikings, Buccaneers. Cuz I mean every AFC team he's now played, you know, dozen, dozen times. whatever, yeah. And even but, though he's like 33 and 3 against the Bear, the Bills, yeah. he's still lost, you know. Yeah, yeah. Right. Wow. But so I thought that was a fun, crazy stat. But he's never lost to the Cowboys, and I have no idea if he even knows that, but that'd be a fun I'm doing a lot of NBA stuff because obviously it's on my mind a little bit. But, you know, it's when you when you hear statistics about the, the Warriors run mm-hmm. and you go, man, we're going to look back at that in 50 years and go, what the hell? Yeah. And we said this about NFL for a long time about um, passing statistics right now compared to like, f- like 50 years ago. It doesn't even make sense. Yeah. But this Patriots run... We are going to look back at this rain, and I know a lot of people say that's a statistic that will never be beaten. I just don't see 
a coach-quarterback combo, having a two-decade reign of trips to the AFC Championship game and Super Bowls and this level of regular season dominance, I just don't because we've never seen anything close to it before. Right. Yeah. I just don't think we'll ever see anything close to it again. It's so much. It is a fun thing to be a part of. I can't imagine what it's like to be rooting for that team. Yeah. So New England. I just looked this up in in the in the line of like we're just going to look back and that's freaking crazy. The Patriots uh, have covered the spread fifty eight percent of the time since two thousand three. So if you had just bet the spread on You'd the You'd be Patriots, one of the greatest gamblers in Vegas. <laughs> right. You would have been super profitable every year for nine, for 16 straight Why years. don't I just do that every game? I mean, at this point, you're kind of getting on. The, the lines have adjusted to Tom's skills, but there is a... Yeah, but I, I feel like they're probably still covering... They're 7-3 and three against the spread this year. <laughs> That's pretty good. 70%. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if I was hitting 70% of the time, I'd start a website. Yeah. LeftGoFootballAnalysis.com. We're coming for you, Sharp. Sharp Football Analysis... Models are covering 71% of the time right now. That's insane. Um, all right. Packers, Niners. This was an EDSR mismatch. It was a traditional one. This is not weighted. Niners over Packers. I say that because it's a little bit scary when you look at the Niners' opponents. Why don't you set this game up before I kind of get into it? Yep. This is Packers at 49ers. The classic Niners by three. That's just Vegas saying these teams are about equal. We don't over under one and over under a half of a clip of Brett Favre versus Steve Young <laughs> in this game. It's Sunday night football. I take the over. Yeah, that feels overish to me. Yeah, I think so too. All right, get back to the game. Sorry about that. Uh, so yeah, the over uh, over under is at forty six. Um, the early money uh, appears to be leaning toward the Packers. Is what I've seen. So you know the uh, the underdog money is coming in. Road dog, uh, George Kittle still day to day. Emmanuel Sanders still not a hundred percent. And most importantly, when dealing with the Packers, is that uh, everyone should go online and listen to the Greg Jennings podcast that you did yesterday. Yes, go listen to the Greg Jennings podcast where Greg Jennings was um, wildly honest, unbelievable. What a guest! And truly. Uh, he has been known for a little bit of being a quote Aaron Rodgers hater, and he addressed it. And I think it's a really good listen. I just sat there and kept going, "Left go, shut the fuck up!" In my own head, <laughs> I just kept going, "Yep, don't talk, don't talk, don't talk." Okay, um, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a nugget, and I'm I'm just telling you the truth here. I know I'm I know I'm like pimping out Warren's website, but it's only because you believe in the product. I believe in the product, and. He is a part of this show, and I want to support him. So, sharpforballanalysis.com. Warren really likes the over. Aha, what 46. is the total right now? 46. Okay. If you think about the Niners' defense and the Packers' defense, this could be very interesting. In terms of the offenses that the Niners have faced, they have faced seven teams this season in the first games before this last three stretch, in which the offense they faced has been either 18th or below, and they only allowed 20 points once. And that was part of the reason we had this narrative that the Niners were an all-time great defense. Well, in the last three weeks, with Arizona and with Seattle, they have faced the number nine offense, twice the number four offense, and they allowed 25, 27, 26. Green Bay's offense is ranked fifth. So they went through a stretch of facing 24, 29, 18, 21, 20, 31, 25, and we were going, while the Niners D is great, last three weeks, trending bad. The last five weeks, the Niners pass rush has faced 
in terms of offensive line, 29, 27, 25, 20, 25. Now they're facing 10. So the Niners have relied on their pass rush, toughest offensive line they've faced. They have been destroying tough offenses. They're now facing the fifth best offense. But if you also look at it in terms of how they've been doing in run defense, in the last three weeks, they are the worst trending run defense in the NFL. Wow. And here comes Aaron Jones. Now, the Packers are coming off of a bye, so it's going to be interesting to see how it kind of goes. A lot of rust. A lot, a lot of rust. Rust versus rust. <laughs> but do not sleep on the Niners' run offense, too. This is why Warren, sharpfootballanalysis.com, is loving the Niners' offense as well, even without Kittle. If and Obviously, you want Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders banged up. The Green Bay Packers have the fifth-worst run defense in the NFL. And we've known that. We've talked about that a lot. This year, the Niners have actually faced some tough run defenses, and only two times have they faced a team that's bottom 10 run defense. Yep. Carolina and Cincinnati. They hung up 51 on Carolina, 41 on Cincinnati, and Tevin Coleman and Raheem Mostert in both games were averaging over five yards a carry. So now they're facing Green Bay on Sunday night football with a banged-up defense ready to be run on. The bottom line is this, and I'm taking all of this from Sharp Football Analysis because Warren is a fucking monster, and he's amazing. Two offenses that are top 10 in the red zone, both run defenses are trending as the 31 and 32nd run defenses. Now, this sounds like... This is also good for daily fantasy. If you want to get on the Jamal Williams, the Aaron Jones, the Raheem Mostert's, the Tevin Coleman, two pass, pass offenses that are diverse and aggressive. He, he, it sounds like an amazing Sunday night football game. Oh, sure. It sounds like one I'm very excited to watch. You hear that. He didn't do anything besides just total. Does that excite you? Oh, yeah, for sure. My question that I would I would love to know if you got it from Warren or... I may have, so let's hear it. Uh, the last three weeks, as you mentioned, they've given up 25, 27, and 26 points to Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson, two very mobile quarterbacks. Mm. Uh, obviously, Aaron Rodgers, he's not super fleet of foot, but he's very good at picking up that first down on third and four if things open up for let's him. Let's predict the future. Yeah. Could this be Aaron Rodgers' most mobile game this season? I was wondering that. Like, I didn't know if Warren had numbers on that or if that's maybe part of Matt LaFleur's game plan that it's like, hey, Aaron, you know... This, this team might be a little vulnerable to a little bit of scampering here and there. Are they going to kind of build that into their plan a bit more? Interesting. I do like that. And I do think that if we watch this game and we start seeing maybe a little bit more of a stagnant offense, we can go, maybe it's the mobile quarterback factor. Right. So we'll think about that there. But I think this is an exciting game. For me, it is in California, Aaron Rodgers going back home to California. Uh, the bye week scares me a lot. Um, I learned a lot about the Niners last week. The fact that they started off down 16 and battled back. Yeah. And Jimmy Garoppolo, I thought, with Debo Samuel as his number one wide receiver was great. For me, I am waiting on George Kittle. Yeah. I am a, a lot have, of shots of him from the from up in the booth. I felt like they they went to him like more than no the Cowboys player is to more Jerry aware Jones. that cameras are on him he more than it. George Kittle. The best. Panda Express, double orange chicken, George Kittle. <laughs> but... I am If I have Gronk on my podcast on Monday and he says that George Kittle's the best tight end in the league, 
playing in an offense that utilizes tight ends the best in the league. Yep. And he's had two weeks now to rest. If George Kittle plays, I'm a lot more bullish on the Niners. Sure. If he doesn't, I'm probably looking more at player props for the Packers. Because I bet you Aaron Jones's numbers are a little bit lower because people think that the Niners' run defense is going to be good. If George Kittle is out, is Ross Dwelly a nice DFS pickup? I mean, he had two touchdowns last week. In the Kyle Shanahan offense, he can plug in anybody, yeah. and they will do well. Just give me a six. Jeff Wilson body. Jr., Raheem Mostert, Matt Breida, Tevin Coleman, Dwelly. Shit, he'll give you a failed wide receiver coming back to look good playing game. That dude with the crazy hair that caught the touchdown, Dante Pettis. It doesn't matter. Anybody that goes into Kyle Shanahan's offense, he's getting you paid. He'll get PR Garcon paid. Can he get me paid? If you have a little bit of quick titch ability and can play in the slot, yes. All right. Kyle, I'll give you my number after this. Would show. you be Ingber Sr.? Oh, no. Well, no, because there's no, I don't have a son whose name is. So David. what? <laughs> okay, I'll go. I'll throw this, I'll throw the SR period on the jersey. If you used your name, David, as your daughter's middle name, could you claim Sr.? Uh, first of all, that you'd have to be a different level of psycho to do that. But uh, one of my fiance's middle names is Jimmy. Really? I, I just, she has multiple middle names. It's also it's not a Jewish thing. Jewish, wow, that's really Jewish fucked up, bro. You nah, really just I'm, into that. <laughs> I'm, I'm in backtracking mode, but Jewish people don't. Actually, name. my grandfather passed away two years oh, ago. Son of a... <laughs> no, so um, yeah, uh, it's I guess it's customary to kind of add the father. Yeah, I guess it's a Jewish thing. Yeah, we don't do anything. No tattoos, no names. Yeah, don't know anything about your past. Jews are like, let's keep it clean. <laughs> okay, last game of note, Ravens-Rams, Ravens at the Rams, Rams plus three in the Super Contest. What did you have as of uh, last night? And I'll check now, too. Right now, I have it as still as three for Baltimore in L.A. Oh, I had Ravens two and a half, but it's okay. possible it's gotten bet up in the recent. Yeah, yeah, three. three is it opened at Baltimore minus one. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do you, do you have any other notes or is it because it's Monday? It's a little bit early. No, I have a couple of notes. The, the most fun one is uh, I saw a stat from at PFF fantasy. Uh, they had most avoided tackles by a QB this year. Number four, Kyler Murray. Murray, he's uh, avoided Murray? Six, <laughs> Kyler Murray has avoided yeah. six tackles. Present. Number three, Jacoby Brissett has avoided seven tackles. Wow. Number two, Josh Allen has avoided 13 tackles. I want to guess. Number one, Lamar Jackson has avoided... 26. 29 tackles I was, this year. I was going to say, tw- oh, wow. Just oh, so wow. fun. Just well more than 29, the second best. 13, 7, 6. Yeah. So it's like you put a finger on Lamar Jackson. Whoop. See you later. And what's incredible is I feel like we've seen a few where he may have evaded six tackles in one play. <laughs> right. Well, 29, that puts you after 10 games. It's about three a game. He avoids three sacks per game just on sheer force of skill and evasiveness. Warren's big note here was this is probably going to be the most lopsided bet game on Monday Night Football this year. Mm -hmm. He said the books will massively be needing the Rams. So if you want to bet Ravens-Rams, if you want to bet Seahawks-Eagles, if you want to bet with Vegas, you bet eagles Rams. This was also right. This exactly. This is my my other point. Is the Ravens were the second most public team. I said the Seahawks were the third most public team with eighty two percent of the money. The Ravens are the uh, second most public team with eighty three percent of the money, which is obviously why the number has come down from three and a half. Isn't down that to more three. than eighty two percent? Yeah, I'm saying they're the number two most public team. Oh, isn't eighty three more than eighty one? 
Yes, I'm saying the Ravens have 83% of the money. The Seahawks have 82% of the money. Seahawks are the third most public team. Oh, who's one? Number one is the Lions over the Redskins at 85% of the money. But it's like you can't can't really count the Redskins. Like, obviously, anyone that plays the Redskins at this point is going to become the most public team almost this week. Yeah, it's good to bet against Haskins. But So, yeah, but in terms of just what I found interesting is that the Ravens and the Seahawks playing the Rams and the Eagles, respectively, two very competitive games, good teams, teams with playoff aspirations, teams that are definitely not in tank job mode. No way. Right? Very, very public teams. The Ravens with 83% of the And that number is probably going to go up because everyone's going to lose their bets Sunday and then bet on the Ravens. And, like, no one wants to be betting against Lamar Jackson under the uh, national spotlight, right? Especially with, like, the Rams um, not looking that great. And they're going to go, oh, they beat the Bears, but... Also, the Rams, their offensive line, they made some changes. It actually looked a little bit better. They ran Gurley a little bit more. Um, But it's also like, this is what Warren said. The Rams D is very good, but they've played a very easy schedule of offenses. Even though Baltimore's run defense, I was listening to Mina Kimes and Aaron Schatz of Football Outsiders talk about there's secretly the Ravens' run defense hasn't been that good, and it, it's sort of like they've done a run funnel where they let you run on them because they're more afraid of the pass, and their secondary's got a lot better. He doesn't think that the, the Rams are going to be able to establish a run early. Mm-hmm. His biggest fear, if you are betting with Vegas, is that the Rams get down early and all of your money is on Jared Goff. Right. And that's a very scary proposition. And he said that it's going to eventually be you're betting on Lamar or Jared Goff. And he said, but you need to ask yourself, do you want to bet with Vegas? And then I texted Warren, I never know how to answer that question. And then Warren didn't respond to me. And then I went to sleep. So... So that's the recommendation. Fuck, bro. We like I literally, he was like, he was like, it just depends if you want to bet with Vegas. And I was like, I never know how to answer that. Is that his mic drop? Is that his like, look, man, if you want to be one of those guys that vets, you know. No, bets. I think he went and vomited. <laughs> I think he got really Feel sick. better, Warren. We're, I know. We want you to get better. Um, let's put on mustaches and call crack. Can we call crack? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're a little bit behind what we said we would call him at because we've been having a good time talking NFL, but yeah. he's in New York right now, actually. He's not in Vegas. He's going to a charity dinner tonight. Uh, I don't know. Is if- he here right now? He's in New York. He's not outside the Oh, door. I was like, if you're punking me right now. <laughs> no, he... We're, we're going we're gonna to give him a call. Uh, hopefully he's around, um, but he's, he's not in Vegas this week. Oh, I just got an alert on my Bleacher Report app. The BR app. The, the GOAT app. app. Get the app. Uh, Miles Garrett alleges... Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph called him a racial slur. Hello. Oh, hey, crack. That's good. Hey, perfect man. timing. How you doing, bro? Good, buddy. What's going on with you? Everything I, right? I hear you're in New York. Welcome back to the East Coast. Thanks, man. I'm going to a, 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 a charity dinner tonight for my buddy, Teddy Atlas. Yeah, so it should be good. Supposed That's be awesome. Fun. Teddy Atlas is a good yeah. guy. Hey, so Warren's really sick right now, so I got Ingber in studio with me. What's up, crack? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? And uh, to honor Warren, we are each going to put on um, some mustaches, and we would really appreciate if during this call you put your finger over your upper lip uh, to simulate a mustache in honor of Warren getting healthy. I'm doing it right now as my wife sits here laughing at me. Nice. <laughs> Hello, Craig's oh. wife. And we yeah we have hey. fake mustaches on. Oh, and and Lefko's got like a very old timey Western. Mustache yeah, I chose going. Wild West. <laughs> Oh, wow. If I had one, I'd have one of those 1970 porn star mustaches. (laughs) Nice. I definitely thought you were going to say vaudeville, but sure. Um, All right. So 
Uh, I hear you have done a lot of looking at this card. Let's start off here. Do you like the card? Uh, wow. There's the last four games on the card are really the, the, the standout games. That's for sure. All right, then let's start there. Which of those popped out to you right away? And have you well, bet any already? Yes, I, uh, I actually, uh, Tennessee over Jacksonville. Actually, that's the last fifth game if you count the Monday night game. Tennessee over Jacksonville. Uh, you know, Jacksonville is a team that the Sharp guys have lost more money on than any other team this year. Uh, it's it just every week the Sharps are going to the well and, and getting their, 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 uh, their ass handed to them playing English. Yeah. Uh, with Jacksonville. And I'll tell you, I watched the Tennessee-KC game. Tannehill looked fantastic in that game. Now, granted, that was like a big game to them. It was probably their biggest game of the year. Uh, I, I really like uh, – you know, I'm done with Jacksonville. So Tennessee over Jacksonville this week is, is one game that I'm on. Yeah, Warren, uh, but, Warren loved that game, yeah. too, just from like a, his models. Tennessee kept popping up, whether you waited it the last month or the entire year. Okay, so that's kind of an alignment. Where do you want to go next? Yeah, that, that, that's one. Uh, looking at some really good games uh, at, the, at the end of the week here, the Eagles. I know that's like your, uh, your old hometown, right? So the yeah, Eagles, yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, they're another team that I just can't do nothing with betting on or against them. I think this is such an important game for them. It might even be their season here. This is such a, a, a really big game for them, uh, sitting at 5-5. Five and five. I, I like the Eagles over, over Seattle. Seattle's got all the early money, too. Let's face it, they're 8-2. They're good. Everyone thinks, you know, they're, they're a good team, too. So, hey, uh, I just crack. To that, you just said early money. Ingber has been bringing up today the more popular sides. Seattle, I think, was 82%. Right, 83%. 83%. Baltimore right now is already at 82%. When you see a number that big, do you just go right to the window and bet the other side? I want to be on the bookmaker's side all the time. That's what I want to be on. So the books are going to be – now, of course, I didn't want to be on the last weekend when they got their head handed to them, their worst weekend of the year. Uh, but 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 again, I'm not going to be passing around no collection cups for the bookmakers. So um, this this particular weekend, I hope that uh, the books get the money on that on on a few games, and that'll be one of them there. With the uh, I am yeah, I'm going to go against I'm going to go against the public there, and at 82 percent, oh my god, Just isn't that crazy? That. Um, That's crazy. Whether it's Green Bay, San Francisco, whether it's total or whether it's side, anything jump out to you there? Because that's that's going to be a very fun Sunday night game. That's the game of the week. I mean, really, that's one of the, it's one of the games of the week, really. Uh, you know, San Fran kind of overlooked the cards last week, and, and really, they got lucky when they landed on ten, as you know. And oh, luckily man. enough, I think you you had the eleven in the in the in the yes, in the contest, I did. So, so uh, yeah, no, I, I, I honestly think that uh, the three and a half in the in in our pool in our contest is a good line for the dog there taking the three and a half. Uh, I think that San Fran is uh, definitely one of the better teams in the NFL. I just like the hook. I think it's going to be a close game, and I do like uh, the dog there. But I'm not going to bet the game because now the line is three. But for any contest or parlay cards, which is a secret thing I usually never talk about, but if parlay cards have three and a half on them, I think it's a, the, the, the hook around the most – the keyest number in the NFL is three. More threes, more games land three than any other number. So the, the hook means a lot to me there. I, and I, love, and I love that the Niners kicker's Robbie Gold. If he doesn't play, that half a point could be so valuable – as we've already seen this rookie kicker miss some monster kicks this year for the Niners. 
Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And um, uh, and then we might as well do the game right between. You know, let's yeah, let's do it. Let's do the Dallas New England. Uh, this is definitely one of the games of the week. New England uh, coming off that 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 game with Baltimore, and and now they 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 ran into uh, you know they ran into a, cu- a couple little things going on there, and you know some questions about the health of the players. Uh, Dallas, uh, I don't think you're ever going to find them at at six and a half seven point underdog. So this is a uh, interesting situation. If I was betting this game, I would actually bet. Uh, buy it to seven. That's a, that's the second keyest number in the NFL. So if you could buy the seven plus seven minus twenty plus seven minus a quarter. Uh, I, I think it's very, definitely uh, a, a, a smart thing to do. I always recommend buying on three or seven if the sports books allow it. Um, but anyway, yeah, this, this is a big, very big game. It's big for the network. Let's face it. This is almost like a, it could be a Super Bowl matchup. They would, matter of fact, the networks would love for this to be the Super Bowl. Yes, they would. Um, Oh man, they would love this. This would be a you know top two teams. Uh, it would be a real windfall for them. So hey, uh, crack! Uh, I got a tip have... for you. Yep, sure. I got a tip for you, and I'm also yep. curious how much you do this. This is becoming yep. a Cleet Blakeman podcast. <laughs> okay. Oh, cool. We yep. are fascinated at the fact that in the last nine games, the under has hit nine times with Cleet wow. Blakeman. This wow. is the same ref. This is the same you ref know? that called the illegal hands to the face on Detroit. Questionable call. Right. He had a number of right. other questionable calls. So much so that after this podcast last week, when I talked about Cleet Blakeman, I had players in the NFL that I did not know listen to this podcast tell me, oh, that guy has screwed us plenty of times. Oh, my God. Oh, he, is wow. he is reffing Jets Raiders this Sunday. Oh man! Oh, I man. don't. That's... If the number keeps dropping, I don't yeah. even care because I just like yelling cleat. <laughs> yeah. Do any of and, your and... readers or anything ever give you information like this? And do you value That's it? Interesting. It, it, it's actually you know it's funny. We look at umpires in baseball, the strike zone. So why not look at referees and their tendencies? It's a fantastic. Listen, that's why I always say, and I do a ton of shows during the week. There's no one sharper than you. So just to hey. pick out that. And, uh, you know, that, that, that is just a great, it's a great, wait, stat. so you bet umpires in baseball a lot. Oh God, you have to, the strike zones are terrible. Some of them, and some of them are good. Some of them are bad. You have to know your umpires. So without a doubt. So you're one so, of the uh, like five people on planet earth that doesn't want robot umpires calling strike zones. Correct. No, I don't. <laughs> you I, found I, the inefficiency. I, I go by umpire. Just like, just like these referees and they're getting worse and worse. You, you would think with all these going to New York and go, you know, all these new things put in, put in place to make the game more efficient. You would think that it makes for a better game. I actually think it, it, they're, they're embarrassing themselves. Mm. They're, they're the, 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 the laughing stock of social media every Monday morning. I have one last question. You've seen my bets every week. Are yep. you noticing a troubling trend? Is there anything that you keep seeing me do that you're like, damn it, Lefko, stop doing that? Absolutely not. Listen, look, look, uh. look how good you were doing early in the season. You're still doing okay. Last week, I think three and two. Um, everyone, you, you can't keep that. This is the NFL. You know, to hit 55% in the NFL, you're doing an unbelievable job. You have an unbelievable season. So, uh, no, I, I, I like what you're doing. I think that you keep on doing what you're doing. And uh, as as the season goes on, there's going to be a little secret here. Uh, usually, I'll, I'll use the bad lines and, and bet those bad lines. If something's three and a half on the card, but now it's six in the uh, you know in, in, in the sports book, I'll say lay the three and a half. When you have to play catch up, we actually have to take the three and a half, take the bad lines. When do we start doing that? When games. do we start going anti gut? Usually around week 
13, week 14. So we may start to look at that. Should we get a jump on it now and just start betting all the bad lines? (laughs) You know, I'm going to say no. I'll I'll look more deeply to see where we both are in the pack, and Um, I will definitely send you a text because – they're paying a hundred places here, so and you know, so, so there's there's the situation where you try to get yourself in the money, and the only shot you have is to bet the bad lines, and that's a real big secret in the industry that I'm sure the the, the tournament guys that that go around and tournament pros don't don't want out there, but that's yeah. what I do. I that's talk what about you do, baby. You're the man, dude. As always, go download the Crack Wins app. This is the season to get down with Bill Krakenberger. Basketball, football. There's so many things going on that casinos can't keep up with it, but you know who can? Crack can. Crack wins. Ooh. Love it. If you want, yeah, we could bottle that up. We could sell that. That was great. (laughs) That's a t-shirt. Great. All right. See you, buddy. Nice Nice to hear from you guys. All right, buddy. All right. Talk soon. Uh, And I just got another alert from the Bleacher Report app. Uh, Mason Rudolph denies that he said it and said it, this is, quote, a desperate attempt to mitigate his suspension, even going as far, far in the statement as saying this is a lie. It was from, it appears to be Mason Rudolph's attorney. Mm-hmm. Guess what? Don't even need an opinion. I'm just saying facts because I don't want to talk about that Just reading the app. Um, all right. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Or as Brian Westbrook would say, hey. Okay. Uh I try to give you as much Warren's information as possible. As always, you can follow him at on Twitter at Sharp Football. You can follow me on social media at Adam Lefko. Ingber, people ask me all the time, when are you going to get on social? I might get on there soon. Really? Yeah, I'm feeling it. You can find him in the YouTube comments. That's right. I do respond to people's comments in the YouTube. Yes. But they message me and they say, how do I message Ingber? <laughs> and I say, you can't. He's elusive. Warren, feel better. Homies, you're the greatest. For Ingber. I know people say dress for the job you want, not the job you have, but that's terrible advice. No one likes the intern who wears a suit to the office when everyone's wearing casual. Very good point. I'm the LEFKOE man. We'll holler at you later. <laughs>